The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. All right, so I don't know if you can tell what we're talking about this morning, but uh, it's sloth. Uh, it's an interesting thing, especially when you see a video like that. I appreciate it. Some of you really enjoyed it. I think that was our college pastor. Uh, <laughs> Laughing so hard. Uh, but we all can uh, kind of identify with this struggle. We're, we're talking about deadly sins in this series and uh, reviewing some of the things that we've already talked about, these desires in our lives that we battle with every day, whether it's lust, whether it's greed, gluttony, and many other sins that we struggle with. In this series, we, we've looked at the fact that our culture often relabels these things in a way that make it a little bit more easier, easy to bear, maybe a little easier to deal with. In the past three weeks, we've looked at lust as more tolerable when we see it as chasing love, as gluttony made less gross by calling it the pursuit of satisfaction, greed masterfully disguised in the pursuit of prosperity, and today we'll be addressing the sin of sloth, creatively reimagined as the wonderful uh, pursuit of leisure. Now, when I first uh, received this topic that I was going to be talking about, I talked to my wife, and she said to me, like, well, why do you get a passage that you don't really struggle with? And uh, I think she was thinking of, like, the fact that I never sit still. And so I'm always doing things. Like, I got some guys with me as my special guests today. They would attest I'm all over the place on the basketball court. But it doesn't mean I'm accomplishing anything, Right? So I'm busy, I'm doing stuff, I'm, I'm ADD all over the place, but the reality is the things that I struggle with in the area of sloth oftentimes are actually being busy, but really not resting God, not actually slowing down enough, so it's kind of a, a weird form of sloth. So we can all, I believe, identify with these struggles we're about to look at as we look at really the basic definition of slothfulness, but we're also going to look at how it manifests itself in creative ways as we go through this. But if you think of the word sloth, maybe many of you think of this old school character you can see on the screen here, Garfield. He says, I'm not lazy, I'm a master of energy conservation, right? And if anyone finds my motivation that I lost, let me know. I'll be at the intersection of too tired to care and don't feel like it for the rest of the day. And some of you are like, yes, my kids did that to me. My school's doing that to me. My teachers are doing that. Whatever it is, we all find ourselves in this mode. You know, I remember back when I was thinking about this topic, I remember back in the day uh, with my dad uh, and time off of school. We had these days off coming up, and my dad had a unique way. He's a Navy guy, military, you know, so he always trying to think of ways to work and get us to work. And so when we had days off, he did not see them as days off. He saw them as opportunities for character development, especially what he would call a work day. And so I remember his little jokes, you know, the dad jokes that we all hear growing up. And one of them was, uh, well, you know why they call it Labor Day, right? Not to sit around. And so he'd put us to work. And I remember being put to work many of these days off. Now, he wouldn't work us the whole day, but it did feel like it. And so 
During one of these days off, you know, you'd have a situation where you'd need a tool that, to do the job, to get the job done. And some of those tools were easy to find, like a rake or a leaf blower or a lawnmower. You know, those things kind of are right there in front of you. But then there were other things that uh, would come up that we would need that were smaller. And I don't know what you grew up with, but I grew up uh, with a basement, which most of you I don't think even know what that is. Uh, But this is a literal picture on the right of my parents' basement. I was a little disappointed. They had some work done on the floor and the tool bench wasn't there anymore. So I had to grab a picture off of Google that kind of looked like my tool bench growing up. Uh, But I would have to go down in what was like a dungeon to go find that tool. And I had to go down and like, this is old school where like you get down to the bottom of the steps and you pull the string and then you got to walk over here and pull another string so that you get the pathway lit up so you don't bump your head on a pipe because the, the uh, ceiling's really low, you know, and you're just constantly hitting that same pipe as you go down to the basement. And so my dad is telling me, all right, you got to go find this. So the scenario goes like this. It's like, Timmy, I need you to go find a Phillips head screwdriver. And we need to do this to get the job done. And I'm up in the attic, you know, way up, upstairs. And this is down in the basement. I trek down. All right, I'll go find this thing. And I go down. So it wasn't that bad. And it wasn't my dad's fault because it was me from the previous time looking for that tool that I left it that way, right? And so I'm trekking down the stairs and I'm looking. And But here's the deal. I go to that tool bench and I don't know if you can identify with this and you're just going to think of your kids, but you know you did it too. You do the eye scan, right? I, hmm, I don't see it. And then you go back up to the attic. Dad, can't find it. Maybe you left it somewhere else last time you did something. Can't find it. Timmy, come on. I know it's there. We just used it last time. I know it's there. Get down there and find it. And the way I pictured it was like trying to find a steak in a vegan restaurant. Like there's no way I'm going to find it, right? It's impossible. So I go back down the stairs and I go down and, all right, I'm going to put forth some effort, Dad. All right? I'm going to move some things. All right. Not there. Sorry. (laughs) Walk back up. Now, by this time, now this went on more than just twice, many times. I would go back up. And I could see my dad's face just get redder and redder every time I came back up those stairs to the point that like he's about to apply the rod of correction to Timmy's seat of understanding. (laughs) And so I'm like, all right, I need to, I need to find this thing now. And so I go down there finally and actually search for it. Like it's a hidden treasure and that it's like gold. And you know what happens? I find it. It was always there, but it was under the mess I left last time I looked, right? And so this area of sloth is kind of interesting to think about my life and identify in that way. Now, why did I slip so easily into it's not my problem mode? I'll never find it. I think we can all maybe answer this way. The, The church answer works great here. We're all sinners. We all have a sinful nature, and sometimes it consumes us where we think uh, as a a sinner, we often look at less hassle as more rewarding, at downtime as the ultimate goal, and as leisure as the pinnacle of happiness and joy. This is our perspective on life. 
Proverbs 26.15 says, A slugger buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Os Guinness states, Sloth is so much the climate of the modern age that it's hard to recognize as a deadly sin. Even in the animal in that video, somehow he's, he's been transformed from some repugnant creature with long nails and just nappy hair and just moving around slow to some cute character, right? That we can all identify with. And somehow it's been transformed in this way. We've rebranded and repackaged sloth into what we now call leisure or something like it. We bought into a lie that states that the more time we have, the better we'll feel. This pandemic has shown us of, of anything that maybe this pandemic can show us is just because you have more time on your hands doesn't mean you're going to make good choices, Right? I mean, studies are shown from the pandemic that anxiety levels are up. That we've had been forced at home to work from home. Now, there's lots of reasons. You know, spending that much time with your family might be part of it too. But the reality is we end up choosing sloth oftentimes in these moments, even when we're given more time. And it reveals our character and our issue of sin, of sloth, John Kostler, the author of the book that this series is based on, states, neither the weekend or retirement are necessarily bad, but we may be putting too much stock in both. Those who live for the weekend run the risk of squandering the blessings of the other five days of the week. See, we miss out on opportunities when we just live for something else. We're always looking for that next thing. And we miss these opportunities. The sin of sloth, it's very broad. And some of you may have already checked out already, so I want you to check back in for a second. Before you start looking at someone else, elbowing them, thinking about all the lazy people in your life, realize there's something for you here. There's something for me here. We all have something that God wants to do through our time in his word. So in this book, Dangerous Virtues, that this series is based on, he gives a basic form of sloth. So let's look at that first. First of all, sloth is lethargy. It's squandering time and energy on the meaningless. Kostler says, sloth is the enemy of perseverance because it leeches away our capacity to persist in effort. That's me looking for the tool. That's your kid, or maybe you. I didn't give any examples of my own kids because... I'm sure that would not be very nice for me to do. But we've all dealt with it. Friends, family, our own personal struggles. Sloth is filled with ill-conceived shortcuts and ignored responsibilities. Sloth is practicing neglect under the guise of simplicity. I'm going to simplify my life, right? And I've heard this said in different settings, you know, simplify. Yes, simplify is great. Don't get me wrong. Some of us, a lot of us, way too busy. Cut some stuff out. Absolutely. But sometimes the necessary gets on the chopping block as well in those moments because we're just being lazy and we're not doing the difficult things and the hard things we're called to do. Sloth is also a sin of rationalization. There's always a somewhat valid reason. There's always a little bit of a reason to check out from certain things. Whether it's checking out from community or checking out on maybe God's like pushing you to share the gospel. Well, they don't want to hear that. They probably, they live in Texas. They've heard it a million times, right? There's always some kind of answer to your little mindset in your head that says, oh, I'm not going to do that. 
Kostler says a slothful person exerts the minimum required effort and would prefer to exert no effort at all. When they do make an effort, it is often under duress and is listless and half-hearted. Man, <laughs> I was such an example of this. I mean, just things are playing even in my head right now as I talk of how I was with my parents in this. And just half, all right, I'll do it. You know, and you just got the you know, slouch going on even as you walk. And the idea of just being slothful, this just permeates our whole being. The book of Proverbs has extensive insights into this world. If you just read that book, it's all about, a lot of it is about slothful people and how to correct that. The slothful person, first of all, he fails to take initiative even when it is in their best interest to do so. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Go to the Anno sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So the ant gives us an example of the opposite of sloth, preparing for the future, taking the initiative. Slothful people also often sacrifice the future on the altar of the immediate. We sacrifice the future on the altar of the immediate. So, for example, maybe as a parent or whatever it is, a coach, uh, you basically get lazy in this sense that in the moment you could take some time to help explain and disciple your children, a disciple who's under you, but it would take too much work, right? And it's really annoying to have to say the same thing again. And so what do you do? You just check out. I'm not going to talk about that again. What are my kids going to do? They're going to roll their eyes. What are my students going to do? They're, you know, and so it's, we just start checking out. And what we do is we miss the opportunity to lay a foundation of discipleship for our children that can really benefit them for the future. But in our effort of slothfulness, we miss that. Proverbs 6, 9 through 11. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. An armed man. As we discussed this in our staff meeting this past Wednesday, this concept came up from one of our staff members that's really powerful, is that we adopt the mindset of rest from our work instead of working from our rest. So many of us have this concept that we'll work, work, you know, wear ourselves out, do whatever we got to do, grindstone type mentality, get the work done so that we can rest. When in reality, actually what we should be doing is enjoying times of rest, enjoying the time to be able to uh, be with our people, be in community, be able to find that joy together and be able to rest well so that we can be productive at work, so that we can be living examples of the gospel of Jesus in our workplace. So now we're not being this poor example of wherever we work of saying, man, I can't wait till Friday. Now maybe you can't wait till Friday. But guess what? What does that tell people you're actually working with? That you're not on mission, that you really, there's no, you didn't, you weren't put in their lives for any reason except to check out on Friday, right? And so when we see our rest as a valuable thing, energizing us to work in a way that glorifies God, it changes our view and it makes us less slothful. The slothful person is not necessarily addicted to rest. This person often works hard to avoid responsibilities, right? I mean, I could have found that screwdriver first, right? I worked hard at that. 
Lots of energy, lots of that time in my day off was spent up and down those stairs, annoying my dad to death. So sometimes, you know, it's just easier, you know, for us, we, we give absurd reasons even for decisions we make. Proverbs twenty two thirteen, the slugger said, there's a lion outside, I'll be killed in the streets. Now, when this was written, there were actual lions outside and some people were being, killing, being killed in the streets. But some of it sounds ridiculous at times, the excuses we can make. So we think about sloth in this basic form, but let's look at another form of slothfulness. Maybe this one relates uh, to you well. It's the idle yet disruptive slothful person. Second Thessalonians 3, if you want to take some time later to look at this whole chapter, Paul is really hitting the church of Thessalonica pretty hard in this. In verse 11, he really gets after it and comes to the conclusion, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. This is an element of slothfulness. You have time, but what are you doing with that time? You have a purpose really for this time, but instead you're spending it on something else. And it's so easy for us to pick on social media, but guess what? That's the world we live in. And so here we go. What do we do with our time? We're slothful. We sit on social media, not really with the intention of doing anything. Maybe some of you are. You use, I use it for work, right? And so that's, that's the little excuse you make to say, all right, I'm going to be on it, on it, on it. And then, all right, then I'll send this message to whoever I really was meant to send it to. And we're just scrolling and we're looking and we're observing and we're really pointing out things that are probably... We're, when we're scrolling, I don't know about you. Okay, maybe it's just me. But when I'm scrolling, I look at things, and oftentimes I'm negative about the people I'm looking at. Oh, she wore that? Right, really? They let their kid do that? Oh, they did? And it's just this constant judgment, right? And some of you might be different, right? And I consider myself a pretty positive person. But some reason, when I'm on social media, I turn to this judgment uh, guy, you know, that just, bam, 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 what in the world? And in my slothfulness, in my idleness, this is what's happening. I'm being disruptive. I'm being a meddler. They were self-appointed leaders in this passage. They were meddlers inserting themselves into the affairs of others. Jesus kind of handles this in a way that kind of slaps us in the face in Matthew 7, 3 to 5. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite? First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus hits this pretty hard to say, look, you're identifying these things, you're judging people, you're idly just flipping around, and really the reality is you're not using your time wisely. You're being slothful in this moment, and it's a struggle Kostler points it this way on this topic. We spend hours watching and reading intimate details about people we hardly know and affairs that have little to do with us. These are often matters that we would probably be better off not knowing. We not only greedily consume the information, but we share it with others. An earlier age would have called this gossip. Paul would have considered it meddling and considered us busybodies, and we call it connecting and call ourselves friends. Last hour is like, man, I got to get one amen. 
No, too convicting. It's too convicting. The reality is this is what we see in our lives. Busybodies, gossiping, and under the guise of, oh, it's just my downtime. I'm just vegging out right now. And here it is. I mentioned earlier how society has rebranded slothfulness and called it a pursuit of leisure. So let's look at that in this last section. We see it represented in the commercials we watch. We see it in our Google searches, how things just magically pop up on our phone when we weren't even actually on our phone. We were just talking about it with a friend. And boom, what? There's Costa Rica. How did that happen? There's Disney. How did that happen? I was just talking about that. It's there. It's magical, right? It's the things we follow, the things we like. It's all these algorithms, and we can see that all over the place. And it's even in our future retirement ideas that we have. And speaking of that, I was in the home of uh, a family who has been going here for a long time, and they're in a situation where the wife is on hospice, and she's home and she's about to pass. And I visited them on Tuesday, and I asked them if I could share this. And I just said to her, I said, what do you want people to hear at your memorial? What a unique opportunity to ask somebody that, right? And what do you want them to hear? And she says, there's a lot of things that they've done in their lives. There's a lot of travel they've done. They love traveling and enjoying their time. But what she said first is, I want people to know Jesus to know the king. And then I want them to know that they're not promised tomorrow. And when I was thinking about that, it's like, here it is. Our thoughts even of one day doing this or one day doing that presents this slothful attitude, presents this attitude of pursuit of leisure. So one day I'll just walk around picking shells off of a beach, right, every day, like Piper puts out, like this Nothing wrong with picking shells, but if that's your goal in retirement, if that's your only goal, goal, that's, that's a problem. And here for her, her ultimate goal at the end of her life, literally staring death in the face any day, she's saying, I want to know Jesus and I want these people to know him. And I want to make the most of my time. Now, don't get me wrong. She talked about trips. Their family had been on amazing trips together, enjoyment together, community, uh, being part of a small group. All this is, these are good things, but often we get preoccupied and obsessed. One of the other topics, as you can see in this picture, is me time. Some people call it self-care, and it's very popular right now, that, just that phrase, me time. Where's my me time, Right? And it's not anything new, but it is pretty popular right now. And again, I don't want you to miss the fact that it's important. It's important to take time to really get your mental health straight, to get your physical health straight, and spiritually be able to rest. And that's very important. But all these things, just like everything else in our lives, we can make it an idol. And then we start going, me time for what purpose? If it's me time to be obsessed over video games, guess what? That's sin. And I dealt with that earlier in my marriage. Well, my wife dealt with that pretty easy too. But the reality of me time, it's, it's an interesting thing when we look at Scripture 
Tim Keller puts it this way, work is so foundational to our makeup that it is one of the few things we can take in significant doses without harm. Indeed, the Bible does not say we should work one day and rest six, or that work and rest should be balanced evenly, but directs us to the opposite ratio. Leisure and pleasure are great goods, but we can only take so much of them. As we think about this topic of leisure, I have to stand here and say and confess to you that oftentimes I have an imbalance of obsession with travel. I love planning trips. I love every detail, and I'm not a detailed guy. But in this situation, when it comes to going places and seeing things I've never seen before and bringing people along, like community for me, this, this type of thing, to see people enjoy themselves, especially on a trip, like makes my day. The, the next Sunday when we come together at Fire Street and hang out together, that's going to make my evening. Be able to see people come together, but the problem persists in the sense that I get imbalance. And I start to become slothful in the sense that I'm looking to that leisure to give me something it can't give me. That trip or that moment to give me something that it's really not meant to give. And that's where it becomes sin, when it's not spirit-led. I mentioned Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. It's convicting work. He pushes on the concept of the American dream and what we've labeled important and worth pursuing. Our pursuit of leisure in his book takes hit after hit as he continually challenges the reader to reflect the glory and greatness of God as the ultimate pursuit of their lives. Listen to this quote. He says, I'm wired by nature to love the same toys the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call earth home. Before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs and using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the war. I don't think much about people perishing. Missions and unreached people drop out of my mind. I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace. I sink into a secular mindset that looks first to what man can do, not what God can do. It's a terrible sickness, and I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset. Right there, he gives us a a look ahead to our conclusion of community. What brought him out of that? That wrong focus. He thanks God for his community that pulls him back. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So we're not called to just rest all the time in the sense that, okay, God wants me to rest. He doesn't want me to be slothful, but he wants me to rest in the right way. We are called to work. The gospel, the gospel proposition is for us to work. He compares it to laborers in the harvest field. He's saying laborers are few, right? The harvest is plentiful. But we don't have enough workers, you know, as we think about this, I, I, I thought about some random story from my childhood uh, that ties into this a little bit. You'll see, it might not sound like initially, though, uh, about sailing. I'm not a sailor, don't get me wrong. I'm not like on this big old boat. But back when I was like 14 years old, I attempted sailing on my own. It wasn't a big boat. It was just like one of these two-person Johns up there, like just a little boat. John is a Philadelphia word for anything. So uh, it's just a little boat, and I'm out on this lake, okay? It's a nine-mile-long lake, so it's a pretty big lake, and I'm hopping on that thing. And like most things in my life, and again, the sin issues come up in my life on this stage all the time, I'm really overconfident about the dumbest stuff, and I think I can pretty much accomplish anything, right? So I hop on this boat. I'm 14 years old, never been sailing in my life. 
life. I'm like, let's go. So I was blessed with a nice, strong wind, a tailwind that took me out on the lake. Big old lake, and I'm just cruising to the point that, again, overconfidence. I'm like, I'm going to get some of my buddies, and we're going to enter the America's Cup, you know, and maybe win someday, right? And I'm good. And I'm cruising along, and then that wind shifts. And I'm like, oh, no. Uh, no one told me about this. Uh, I, what do I do? And I'm seeing my destination over here, and I'm just continuing to go that way. Starting to get dark. And so I'm starting to make all those promises. You ever do that in a tough situation? You start making promises to God. I'll do this. I'll confess that. I'll actually find the tool the first time, right? I'll do all of it. Just get me back to shore. It's almost dark. And so I seriously to this day don't know how I ended up back on the shore. But I did, obviously. Uh, But the idea is I, I made it. And I got back there and I thought about like, well, what does this even mean in relation to this? It's, it's what, I, what I think we all need in these times we're confronted by things, we're convicted by. It's not just to uh, beat you up and say this is one more thing that you're bad at. That you're just screwing up again in this sin and just feel all beat up on the way out. But instead it's for us to be able to see the problem and correct our course. I'm on that boat and I needed a course correction. I needed a rudder change. I needed a change in the wind, move the sail, whatever, to get back to where I needed to be. And we all need this course correction, I believe, in the area of sloth and pursuing leisure. So what are the course corrections? Well, they come for our core values at TBC. We finish with these last three things from the core values, surrender. Jesus promised comfort in a unique way. Look at Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He says, Come to me, all who are labor, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's interesting. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You know, he's like, ah. Uh. Then he follows it up with a yoke. It's like, that doesn't make sense, does it? You know what a yoke is used for? It's a slap on the back of a neck of, a, of two oxen and get them plowing a field. So he's saying to us here, I am rest. When you surrender to me, you actually find rest even in the difficulty and even in the work itself can be rest. And my wife and I had a chance to talk about this last night. We snuck away from the kids, and it's so nice to be able to sneak away from them without getting a babysitter nowadays. Uh, sorry, people that have young, really young kids. You'll get there someday, maybe. Uh, but we got away for dinner, and we're sitting there at dinner, and we're like, I asked her this question. I'm like, all right, help me understand you know, the best way to communicate this. And I talked about this passage, and she said, yeah, this is it, for, especially for a young mom. Or some that may be a young mom someday, especially in these situations where you're overwhelmed sometimes, like laundry up to your kneecaps, you know, and, and, and bottles everywhere and just endless stuff. I see a little baby right there. Uh, the, the idea that it's just overwhelming at times. And what Jesus is saying is in the work, in the difficulty, in the tough times that I've called you to, you can find rest. It's not always just escaping to something. It's rest within the work. 
Rest within the difficulty. And secondly, biblical community. Paul shows the value of importance of community as we fight idleness and sloth. Look at how he calls these people out. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. He isn't talking to an individual here. He's talking community. He says brothers and sisters. The idea that our community together, our small group right here, I see some of them out there in the audience even now, our small group can come together and actually push each other out of idleness, can push each other out of excuses, can push each other toward living the gospel together in our community. And to not be slothful and not be living for the wrong thing and not pursuing leisure as a God. And it best happens right in community. And then lastly is mission. Jesus helps put things in perspective in our struggle with sloth in this area. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He says, take up your cross. Doesn't sound like leisure to me. You look at the disciples' lives. Where did they end up? All but one of them ended up dead. Whoa. But I just want that one more thing. I want that. I I deserve this. Don't get me wrong. Again, I love trips. I love to relax. I'm all about it. But the reality is we're called to something difficult. He says, take up your cross, a form of capital punishment, and carry it daily. So we need to lay this idol and this sin of sloth at his feet and confess. Say, God, I know I need rest, but I need to rest differently. I know I need to work, but I need to work differently with a different focus and a different mindset. So as the body of Christ at Temple Bible Church, let's join together in surrendering to Jesus, pursuing deep biblical biblical community and living an amazingly fulfilled life on mission together. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for your love, your mercy, your grace. Lord, we're thankful for conviction, for your word, Lord, that it puts it on us sometimes in a way that hurts. God, work in our hearts even during this song as we sing together to confess to you the sin of sloth, the sin of idleness or being a busybody, a gossip, sin of neglecting our family or friends, even in the guise of something good. You realize life as a gospel believer is work. And sometimes we're worn out. Help us to find the fact that we can find rest in you. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. The world's yoke is not easy. The world's yoke fills us with anxiety and fear and pain and torture and torment. God, your yoke is easy. Your burden is light, and we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.